Welcome to First Baptist Church. Welcome. I'm Pastor Mark. If you're listening online or looking at online or whatever it is that you're doing, or if you're in this church for the first time and you don't recognize me, must have been where God wanted you. Glad that you're here with us this morning on this Palm Sunday as we um, start that walk towards next Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And what a big day that is for us. Amen. We are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 this morning. And, uh, and you know, after doing this for so long, you try to find a different way to to bring the same message. Does that make sense? You try to trying to make things fresh, so you're not sitting there going, "Okay, just I've heard this eight million times. It's time for me, you know." Uh, but you know, the Lord always seems to to make it. You know, to, to bring a message about. So let's start off this morning. Let's just read our passage of Scripture, 11 verses in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And God's Word says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come unto Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you. And straightway ye find an ass, and tied in a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, in a colt of the foal of an ass. The disciples went and, and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and, and put them their, put on them their clothes and, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he, had, he was come unto, into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So in this passage of scripture, we see the, you know, where, where the, the people had taken their, their cloaks and threw them on the road in front of, of the donkey. They cut branches from the trees and put them, put them on, on the ground. They, they waved them about. In Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, it says they, they threw their cloaks on the road and leafy branches they had cut from the fields. Hosanna. In Luke 19, verses 37 through 40, it says the disciples praised the mighty works that the stones would cry out. And in John 12, verses 12 through 19, it says that the branches of palm trees, and they, they cried, Hosanna 
the crowd came because of Lazarus. Now, that tells us that, that Palm Sunday is recorded in all four Gospels. And it's called Palm Sunday because, duh, they cut the palm branches off and they waved them before Jesus. They put them down on the ground in front of him and, and as he rode into Jerusalem. And this event, I feel like, is often overshadowed by what happened the next week on Resurrection Sunday, on, on, on that first Easter. But, brothers and sisters, it's no less important than that day for four reasons. I mean, was Palm Sunday an accident? Did Jesus just wake up one day and say, let's go to Jerusalem today. Let's do this. You know, why not? No, it was very, very purposeful. We find Palm Sunday in Matthew 21, but it goes all the way back to chapter 16 where Jesus was telling his disciples in Matthew 16, verses 21 and 22. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. See, Jesus had an appointment to keep. An appointment that was written in Israel's day planner nearly 500 years before. It signaled Jesus as the Messiah. That's Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel. That's Daniel chapter 9, verses 23b through 27. We're not going to read that. I'm, giving, I'm going to give you a lot of uh, scripture references today you might want to write down. Anyway, so in, in Daniel, starting in chapter 9, it talks about 70 weeks. Well, 70 weeks in, in the book of Daniel is 490 years. So that seven weeks or 49 years was, was spent rebuilding the temple. 62 weeks or 434 years later, an anointed one comes. The anointed one is the Hebrew word. Mashiach, which means Messiah. So 434 years after the temple was rebuilt. The, uh, in Adam Clark's commentary, he wrote, Most learned men agree that the death of Christ happened at the Passover in the month of Nisan. In the 4,746th year of the Julian period, 490 years reckoned back from the above year leads us directly to the month of Nisan, in the 4,256th year of the same period. The very month and very year in which Ezra had his commission from Artaxerxes, king of Prussia. And Ezra in 7.9 was that, that commission. So if you do the math, that you're going to see that there's one more week of Daniel's weeks left. One seven-year period of time until the rest of Daniel 9 is fulfilled. This is prophecy. 
Now, for much of Jesus's ministry, he urged people to be quiet about who he was, didn't he? He, when he healed, he told the people not to say anything. When he confronted demons who recognized him as the Son of God, he told them to shut up. And that was because it wasn't time for him to declare himself as the Messiah. But on Palm Sunday, the time had come. It meant that God's timetable for Israel was put on pause. Daniel's 70 weeks was put on pause. And it signals the end of the Jewish system, the, the sacrificial system. That's in John 12. Now the same people who hailed Jesus as the Messiah, we know would go along with the Pharisee later in the week and have him crucified. Jesus said in Matthew 24 too, that, that the city of Jerusalem and his temple will be torn down. And then in Matthew 21, he talked about a mountain being pulled up and cast into the sea. And both of these can easily refer to the fact that Judaism, as an approach to God, was done. It was fulfilled in the person of Christ. Now, in a lot of places, including Romans 3, for instance, it becomes clear that the system of the law can't save anybody, right? We can't be good enough. We can't follow enough laws right to be saved am i right but what those portions of scripture do is they point to the one that can save and that's of course is our jesus the destruction of jerusalem and the temple confirms that and in fact old testament sacrifices really didn't cleanse anybody from sin the Old Testament saints were sort of saved on credit in that sacrificial system because it looked forward and it pictured the only real worthy sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, if you want a reference. Now Luke 19.39 tells us that the leaders told Jesus to quiet the crowds. They knew what it meant for them to cry out, Hosanna. That's a ref reference to Habakkuk uh, 2.11. In Habakkuk, it said that the stones of Jerusalem would cry in the judgment over the city's sins just prior to its overthrow by Babylon. And here the, the stones of the city wall would bear witness to the rejection of Jesus Christ. Now it doesn't mean that God's done with Israel. In Revelation chapter 7, we see God move again. And he moves mightily through a born-again Israel. In Zechariah 12, chapter 10, it says that the Jews will look on a Messiah whom they have pierced and will mourn. So I believe two things are going to happen. First, there's going to be the coming of the replacement Christ. That is the Antichrist, Right? That's going to make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. And of course, three and a half of that year is going to be lovely. The other three and a half is going to be literally hell on earth. But that's one sign, right? That's one event that needs to happen. The other one is, is that the church needs to be taken up. 
We call that the rapture. It's not in the book. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But it's the rapture of the church, the believers of Christ. Those two things have to come, okay? When that happens, God is going to start that clock going again for, the, for that final seven years, right? When, when, when those two things happen, Daniel's 70-week clock for Israel begins again. And the crowd recognized the importance of this, of this event of Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. But they missed its purpose. The crowd came because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that would make you come, right? You want to see that guy that brought somebody back from the dead? He'd been dead four days. I mean, that's a show, right? Wouldn't you be curious? They didn't come because of him. They came because of what he had done. They cried out that messianic psalm, Psalm 118. That's where Hosanna comes from, Psalm 118.25. But there's, there are a few important things from that psalm that if, if they had paid attention, they might have recognized how important this event was. In verse 8 of Psalm 118, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And yet, man is who they trusted. In verse 14, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. But Jesus is and was the salvation. In verse 19, it says, Open me the gates of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord. Jesus entered through the eastern gate, and this gate would be shut by the Turks years later to try to stop Jesus from coming back through. In verse 22, it says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is that cornerstone. Jesus would be rejected by the Jews, but became the cornerstone of all of our salvation. And then verse 25 of Psalm 118, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. They wanted a military, a social, an economic success. They wanted a king, a, 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 a king that was going to be a warrior. But beloved Jesus provides success in life by saving us through his grace. They thought that he was coming as a king to free them from Rome and, and instead of a savior to free them from their sin. The same people who welcomed him on Palm Sunday rejected him just days later at the insistence of the scribes and the Pharisees. But God came in peace to a world that wasn't looking for him. Does that look like today? Does that look like today? We have forgotten all these years later of what he came for. In the past, meeting God had meant death. 
But the fact that he came on a donkey meant that he was coming to make peace with us, not war. All throughout the Old Testament, we find instances of fear when people realize that they had come into God's presence. Fear for their life. We see it in Exodus, in the story of Gideon. We see it in in the story of Samson's parents and others. And this time, this time God comes in peace to save life, not to take it. And he came by riding a donkey. The riding of a donkey by a king of Israel was prophesied in Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. His position as the king, his character is righteousness. His purpose is salvation. His attitude is humility. A king riding on a donkey would not be a military threat to Rome. He's proclaiming himself as the king of Israel, which later, of course, Pilate would, uh, conf- he would confirm to Pilate in Luke 23, 3. And of course, that was the inscription over his cross, right? The king of the Jews. But despite being the king, he would not come with a sword but to offer his own righteous body, to be afflicted for the salvation of everyone. Now compare this to the the coming of the king as Jesus at another time, the next time he arrives in, in Jerusalem. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And I saw a heaven open up, Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, <coughs> but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he, shed, and he tradeth the winepress of fierceness and wrath of, of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. Do you see that picture? The difference between of him riding in on that donkey into Jerusalem on that triumphal entry at the beginning of Passion Week to the time he comes again on that white horse coming from the sky. His eyes aflame, swords coming out of his mouth. This is the second coming. Jesus isn't riding on a lowly donkey anymore. He's sitting on a white horse. He's righteous, but this time that righteousness isn't bringing salvation, but it's bringing judgment. 
He's not bringing peace. He's coming to war. His clothes are now dipped in the blood of his enemies. And instead of a crown of well-wishers who really don't know what they're celebrating, he brings an army of saints. And instead of palm branches, Jesus brandishes a sword that will strike down all of his enemies. That's our Lord and Savior. When does this coming take place? It happens after every chance is given to us knuckle-headed men and women of the world to repent. There's going to be natural disasters, war, plagues, demon attacks, miracles, and direct judgments on a sinful world. All while the gospel is being proclaimed. And in the end, man will attack Jerusalem to try to wipe out the followers of Jesus off the face of the earth. And at that time, Jesus is going to say, that's enough. The question is, which Jesus do you want to meet? Right now, he's still the king on the donkey. He's still coming in peace, offering us salvation, offering us his righteousness, offering us his life. But we need to understand why he came, what he gave, and what he requires of us. And that's to humble ourselves like he did. To come to the cross that he died on. To recognize that we're there with him, dying to ourselves. And then rejoice with his rising when we rise to a new life. And then we need to recognize that if you belong to him, then, then he's at peace with you for all eternity. Can you disappoint Jesus? Absolutely. I probably do it every day. Several times a day, I'm sure. Can you grieve him? Yes, we can. But will he abandon us? Never. He may discipline us, but brothers and sisters, we belong to him. So you need to rest in that peace. We sometimes look to Jesus to be that warrior to, to descend in our life and to cut things to pieces, right? And there are times when you just want them, Jesus, come on down here and just take care. Get rid of all of them. I'm just done with their trifling ways. But Jesus, right now, the king he is right now, is righteous, but he's humble. He loves us. He gives to us. He's making peace for us forever. So which part of the group watching Jesus are you? From the people that we see in these accounts, there are basically three types of people, three different reactions on that uh, triumphal entry of Jesus that day. 
You can be part of the crowd, right? The crowd, they got caught up in the moment, each one of them uh, thinking there was something in it for them. Jesus coming to set me free from my, my current physical difficulties. Jesus coming to set me free from the Roman occupation. I mean, these people in the crowd, most of them, they faked allegiance. But when the reality of what Jesus was trying to do came out, they turned away. You, you could be a Pharisee, right? Pharisees saw Jesus as coming as a threat to their way of life. They had a pretty good thing going running the show, didn't they? To welcome in a new king meant that they weren't going to be numero uno anymore. And they certainly didn't want that to happen. Or are you a disciple? In John's account, we see the disciples lifting up praise as recognition of who Jesus was and what he had done, what they had learned in their three years of walking with him. But you understand, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get really who he was, but they got more than everybody else did, right? So brothers and sisters, as Jesus approaches your life, what's your reaction? Do you give false praise? Are you just hoping to get something good from him, but not really recognizing what it means when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Do you get fighting mad when Jesus touches an area in your life? When he says, I want to be the king in this part of your life. But do you see that lordship is a threat because you don't want to give over control? Or do you fall on your knees, acknowledge your lack, acknowledge his lordship? Do you give him praise for his great works and do you welcome him as the Lord and King of your life? See, that's our choices, really, isn't it? What's your choice? Which will it be for you? There's so much that we can get from that first, that triumphal entry. There's so much that it tells us of how he is now. And then Revelation tells us how he's going to be when he comes back. Now, if your heart is right and you've accepted Jesus Christ, you ain't got to worry about that. Because if it, if it happened tomorrow, you would be gone. But, while I don't know when that'll happen, it's not on the horizon right now. Because nobody's stepped up to make peace in the Middle East, right? And we're still here. And just, there wasn't a mass disappearance of people that we missed. Where are you? Let's walk the rest of this week 
knowing where we're at. Let's pray. Father, as always, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your spirit that had led and, and gifted each writer of your book that would lead us and guide us in, in your way, that we would know the proper way, the right way, the righteous way to you. And we know that that wouldn't be possible without Jesus, without you sending your, your son, your, our sacrificial lamb for all eternity. Lord, as we contemplate this day, that, that entry, my mind thinks of the part of Scripture where it talks about Jesus stopping just before he enters the gate and he weeps. And Lord, that kind of breaks my heart because oh, he's weeping for us. He's weeping for, for mankind. He's weeping for so much. And Lord, thank you for continuing on, for being obedient, for being that sacrifice for us. May your Holy Spirit be with us as we Continue this walk this week. May he convict our hearts. May he convict our minds that we might just give ourselves over to you. Thank you, Father, for your love, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and stretching out your arms on that cross. We give you the glory, honor, and praise in the precious name of the one who died on Calvary. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. All God's children said, amen. That's why he went to the cross. That grace that's greater than all of our sins. It covers them all. Do we understand how big that is? What he did for us. <coughs> that as he rode that donkey into Jerusalem, that we were on his mind. You were on his mind. I was on his mind. My goodness, that's so huge. Thank you, Jesus. So this week your challenge is easy. Every day make it about what Sunday's coming. Get yourself right, in the right mind, in the right heart. So when Resurrection Sunday you can, hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Thank you God he is risen. Celebrate, get yourself ready to celebrate our risen Savior. You can do that, right? I know you can. God bless you. You know I love you. 
We do have one person that's joining our church today. My mother-in-law, Miss Peggy, is going to join our church. She's going to move her letter. So she's going to become an official member of our family. Although she already was, she already has been. But. After the sermon last Sunday, I said I better join the church. <laughs> <laughs> and living with my son-in-law. <laughs> so, so you can come up and, and you can show her some love if, if you like. Uh, oh, actually, we, well, you can do that as you're walking and running out to be with your kids. <laughs> because I'm not getting in trouble. So, so we're going to go out there with the kids, all right? So thank you so much. Welcome, Miss Peggy, to the family, although you already know that. God bless you. I love you. Peace. Call me if you need me. Jake. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today, and thank you for the pastor's word. And we ask that you bless everyone in this church and just put it on our hearts to really reflect on everything that happened this week leading up to that cross and that resurrection. We thank you for everything. We love you.